This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles this evening to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, looking at verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. Hear the word of God. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We give thanks to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we look to you this evening. Because this is your word, and pray that as we study it, that you would feed our souls. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a student at the University of Southern Mississippi, I knew that I could go to the president of that university at any time. In fact, I can remember seeing him on campus and going over very confidently and saying hey to him. And uh, he would he would he would speak back. We would converse, talk about what was going on, school, sports, whatever. Now, part of the reason for that is that the president uh, had very much an open door policy towards students of the university. But I probably had more confidence in that relationship than some because I knew his son. In fact, his son had been my best friend when we were young children. In fact, they had lived next door to us, and our families had done quite a few things together. And so I was able to go to Dr. Lucas and talk to him at any time, because I knew him, and he knew me, and I knew him through his son. That's something of a picture of what Hebrews is talking about here. Uh, access to a far higher level than a university president, access to God himself. 
and not a tentative or fearful or quivering access, but bold access, confident access, confidence of being welcomed, confidence of being warmly received, confidence of being known. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about here in the passage that we're looking at tonight and and really on through chapter 10, because there's a great deal here that goes on that has to do with the work of Christ and the priesthood of Christ and how that priesthood was accomplished and what it means for us. But he introduces that theme in our passage tonight. It begins with the words, since then, since when, since, since what? What is he pointing back to when he says since then? In other words, because of these things, we have a great high priest. Well, we could look at the words immediately following, which have to do with the living word of God, and the fact that we are naked and exposed before the Lord, that everything about us, including our sin, is very evident to God. But since then, we do have a great high priest. Uh, as he says, we can hold fast our confession, and that could certainly be his point of connection. As you look at it, actually, he could be picking up from uh, chapter 3, verse 6, with verse 7 through chapter 4, 13, as something of a digression, having to do with apostasy, hardening of heart, being sure to enter God's rest. After all, notice chapter 3, verse 6, he says, we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence our boasting in our hope and then similar language in 4:14 let us hold fast our confession the idea of holding fast our confidence holding fast our confession he does seem to be picking off uh, or picking up rather where he left off with chapter 3 verse 6 or you might even look earlier uh, back to chapter 2 verse 17 where he first uh, makes reference to Jesus priesthood He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I do think he's maybe referring specifically back to what he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, but he's already introduced this idea of Christ as our high priest. And that's really the, the theme of what he's talking about. Christ is the Christian's high priest. Now, there are a couple of aspects of that that he points to in our passage tonight we want to look at. And first has to do with Jesus' sympathy. His sympathy for us as he is our high priest. That Simply put, he understands our weaknesses. He understands where we are. He understands the things that uh, we struggle with, the things that drag us down, the things that are hard in this life. We see this in verses 14 and 15 and 16. Verse 14 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Of course, the great high priest, the high priest role, the very idea of the office is drawn from the Old Testament. Uh, In fact, uh, a little bit later in this passage, he refers to Aaron. Now, remember, we talked about Hebrews being about what we have in Christ is superior to what the people of God had under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and how Jesus is superior to the prophets, superior to the angels, superior even to Moses. Well, now we're seeing how Jesus is superior to Aaron. Remember, Aaron, was the, his line was the, the priesthood. Well, Jesus is superior 
to that priesthood, modeled on it, uh, builds on it, but is superior to it. We have a great high priest, as they did in the Old Testament, but we have one who has passed through the heavens. Now, the idea there is that uh, just as the earthly high priest would pass into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, our high priest has passed into heaven itself. You recall how the high priest would enter in once a year with sacrifices being made for sin and enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, to offer up sacrifices for the people, intercede for the people, represent the people in the presence of God. Well, we have a high priest who has who has done even better. He's entered into the presence of God itself, into heaven itself, of which that tabernacle and the temple were a pattern. You may know the writer of the Hebrews will talk about that a little bit later. Who is he? Well, he's Jesus, the Son of God. Now, as, as was mentioned this morning, every word of Scripture being inspired, we look at those names, Jesus, the Son of God, and recognize the weight of what is said there. Uh, the, the implication that it has both for Jesus in his humanity but also the Son of God in his deity, in both aspects of his, of his being, his humanity, his deity, are essential in his high priestly role. The writer doesn't elaborate on that, but he does name, give him his earthly name of Jesus, but also he refers to the fact he is the Son of God. Because we have this high priest, let us hold fast our confession. You know, we don't live in fear. We don't live thinking, as perhaps some of them did, that what they now had in Christ was less than what they had in the Old Covenant. But we have a priest who is superior to Aaron, one who has entered into heaven itself for us, and so let us hold fast our confession in him. Don't waver, don't turn back, but you cling to Christ. He is superior to anything, to anyone in the Old Testament. That makes him sound pretty high and exalted. Well, of course he is, but high and exalted, in this case, does not equal remote. It does not equal distant. Because he goes on then in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The ESV is doing its best there without violating the rules of English grammar to reflect the double negative that the writer uses. In Greek, you can do that. You can pile up negatives, and it's still negative. You know, if you have a double negative in English, you just made it a positive. Well, Greek doesn't work that way. It was okay to use a double negative, even a triple negative if necessary, to make the point, to drive it home. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but just the opposite. We have a high priest who is very much able to feel for us, to be sympathetic toward us. Because he has been tempted as we are in every respect. That's where his humanity is essential. Jesus can be sympathetic toward us because he has experienced the kinds of temptations that we experience in this world. Now, that's something to think about. Jesus has been tempted in every respect as we are. Does that mean he suffered every temptation a human being possibly can suffer? Well, no. For example, some temptations Jesus didn't have simply because they were not available at the time. He wasn't tempted to drive 80 in a 70 mile an hour zone. 
He wasn't tempted to waste time surfing the internet when he should have been doing something more productive simply because there was no internet. They'd pull up their laptops and it would connect to nothing because the internet had not yet been invented. Of course, there were no laptops either. So there are temptations you and I face today that Jesus didn't face simply because they were not there. Well, what does he mean then? Well, he means that Jesus has been tempted in all kinds of temptations, various categories of temptations uh, that are common to humanity, uh, just as, as we are, types of temptations. And we think of specific ones, Matthew 4, where the devil comes to him and, you know, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Right. Uh, and other temptations that Jesus faced. The word temptations itself uh, could also have the idea of testing or, or trials, afflictions, testings in a way. Uh, and certainly he experienced that temptation to be impatient with his slow to learn disciples. Um, Jesus has experienced that. In other words, he knows what it's like to live in a fallen world. What that does to you, how that tries you, how that contests you, how that can tempt you. He has experienced that, uh, being tempted in every respect as we are. And so we can never say to God, you don't know what it's like. Because the reality is, he does. And so, and, and, and he's sympathetic with us because of that. And of course, the very important qualifier, yet without sin, if he had sinned, he would have disqualified himself to be our savior. He himself would, would uh, not be able to bear our sins because he would have his own sin. Uh, it's interesting that that doctrine is slipping. You know that there are, there are surveys of Christians professing evangelical believers, did Jesus ever sin? Then there are a percentage that will say yes. Now, it may be utterly staggering to think that Jesus never once sinned by what he did in body, tongue, or mind, or uh, he also never sinned in failing to do what he should have done in body, in tongue, and in mind. The attitudes of his heart. Simply because that's a staggering thought doesn't mean we should discount that when the scriptures clearly say Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin. Our salvation hinges on Jesus being without sin. That is not a peripheral, disposable doctrine. If Jesus sinned, then we might as well go home right now because we don't have a Savior. So it's staggering that, that anyone who professes Christ could, could say that Jesus sinned. Um, there, there is no salvation apart from his sinlessness. But the point that he's making here is that he's sympathetic. He understands what we wrestle with. And even when we fall to temptation, there is a measure of sympathy there from Jesus because he understands. In fact, Jesus has felt the force of temptation stronger than you or I will because he never once gave into it, never once yielded to it, right? So he is sympathetic with our weaknesses, our frailty, because he's been there himself. And so verse 16, he says, so draw near. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Because we're not going to someone who is distant, uninterested, uncaring, let alone someone who is an enemy. We are going to someone who sympathizes for us, who's pulling for us, who knows what it's like to struggle against the various difficulties in this 
fallen and sinful and it's often painful world. So let's go to him, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not just draw near, but with confidence, confidence that we'll be warmly received, confidence that we are known, confidence that he is for us, not against us. An emphasis there on the sympathy of Jesus for us, that he understands our weakness. He's been there. He knows what it's like to live here. And that's essential in a high priest because he is to represent us before his father. Well, he can identify with us in that way. So very important. And that's the first thing he talks about here is his sympathy. Second thing that the writer of the Hebrews talks about with our great high priest here is his qualifications. Well, that's fine that he feels for us, but... um, you know, if you uh, if you go up and find some guy to be your attorney and, you know, he's, he's just convinced you're absolutely right and he feels for you and he wants to do his best for you and, um, you know, really has big things in store. And then you find out he was uh, he was disbarred several years ago and is actually not you know, eligible to practice law because he doesn't have the qualifications to do it. It really doesn't help you a whole lot that he's very sympathetic. Jesus is sympathetic, but he's also well qualified to serve as our great high priest. And in chapter 5, verses 1 and following, he he talks about the qualifications of Jesus, but he starts by talking about the human qualifications. What does a human priest, someone like Aaron, who served in that capacity, what do they have to have to do that? What qualifies them to do that? Well, verse 1, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Uh, he's chosen. He's appointed. Uh, skip down a couple of verses. We'll come back to the other. Uh, verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So first of all, he can't choose himself for this position. God has to call him and appoint him to this position, which he did with Aaron, his descendants. And as he'll go on to point out, is also done with Christ. Uh, a human priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Again, this element of sympathy. He, in the case of a human priest, is, is one of us. He, he is he's human. And in fact, uh, verse 3, not only is he human, not only is he identifying with what we struggle with, he himself is caught up in it. He, in the case of a human priest in the Old Testament, he himself is a sinner. Verse 3 Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So he's appointed by God. He is he's sympathetic and connected with those he represents. But in this case of a human priest, he, too, is a sinner. He's plagued with the same problem as those he represents. And so when the high priest would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, he also offered sacrifices for his own sins, for his own cleansing, because he himself needed the blood of an atoning sacrifice to make him right with God. Now, what the writer of the Hebrews does is take those things that applied under the uh, priesthood of Aaron and now shows how they are fulfilled, completed in Jesus. Verse 5, so also Jesus did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you and you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. These quotations there from the Old Testament. 
Now, that may seem, seem strange. Well, Jesus is God. Uh, why, why couldn't he exalt himself to be made a high priest? Well, Jesus, of course, in his deity is God the Son, God the second person of the Trinity. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the covenants, uh, covenant of uh, the grace, overarching Old and New Testament, covenant of works, covenant of grace, Old Covenant, New Covenant aspects of the covenant of grace, or even the development of those covenants with particular people, as with, uh, with, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. But there's an Old Covenant, uh, the covenant of redemption, that actually precedes time that uh, the scriptures point to of not in terms of being, but in terms of function. God the Son being willing to take on the work of redeeming a people for God uh, with a view toward the fall, with a view toward uh, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, plunging this world into sin, uh, so that Revelation 13 can describe Jesus as the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. That even before God created the world, he knew that we would sin, that we would fall, that we would be in need of a redeemer. And so the writer to the Hebrews, showing the parallel with the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron's priesthood, says that Jesus did not exalt himself to that, but submitted to the will of his Father in terms of this function of serving as our Redeemer. He did not exalt himself, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we'll talk, Lord willing, in the future about the order of Melchizedek and how he plays into all of this, but for now we'll just leave it at that. Now, what about his being one of us? The priest had to be from among the people, had to be part of them. Well, that's true for Jesus as well. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Now, describing Jesus' prayer life, that's an interesting study itself if you look at the Gospels. John 17 being the longest recorded prayer of Jesus where he intercedes for his disciples after he's gone. And not just his disciples, but those who would believe uh, through him, through them, uh, which would include you and me, who believe on the basis of the apostolic testimony, not by firsthand knowledge of Jesus in terms of in the flesh, seeing him here in his earthly ministry. And cried out with loud cries, tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Uh, could even point up to his final prayers before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. Some people wrestle with that. Well, Jesus was perfect. After all, they already said he didn't sin. That's true. And yet, to be perfect as our sacrifice, Jesus had to experience the things that we do. His humanity was important. His obedience under the law was important, which is why he didn't just, you know, come into the world on Monday, Thursday, and go to the cross on Good Friday. Uh, to be prepared to be that sacrifice on Friday, there was much that he had to experience and do in those 33 years or so of his, of his life. 
He learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus actually was tempted. His temptations were real. And he learned obedience. He learned what it was to live here in this world and obey the law of God in a way that he would not have known apart from his incarnation. He lived under his own law. Would that Congress would do the same. Well, Jesus came and lived under his own law. The laws that he established applied to him. Galatians, Paul says, he was born under the law. And it was essential that he live by those laws uh, to, as it says, to learn obedience through what he suffered living here in this world. And so being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated again by God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. And so you see the qualifications that are here. He's appointed by God. He identifies with and is part of those whom he serves. He does not put himself forward for this, but was called to it and appointed to it by God and is well qualified through his temptations, through his learning obedience, through what he suffered to serve as the representative of his people, the high priest, who not only would offer the sacrifice, but would, in this case, himself be the sacrifice for the sins of his people. Now, there's not a whole lot in terms of imperative here. Uh, much of this is, is describing, it's, it's teaching, it's talking about Jesus. But the imperatives were at the very beginning. One is to hold fast that there's no other name given among men by which we may be saved. This is the true and living way. Walk in it. Don't turn from it. Follow Jesus. Hold fast. And the other is to draw near. Regardless of your sin, regardless of your weakness, regardless of your failures, to draw near to his throne of grace, where we do find mercy. And we do find grace to help us in the struggles of living in this fallen world. You know, Jesus was God, but in his humanity, he relied on the very same resources that you and I have. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, prayer to God. And in the strength of those things, in his humanity, he obeyed his Father in heaven. Draw near. We will receive mercy. We will, will find grace to help. Some have referred to the book of Hebrews as the Leviticus of the New Testament. I'm not sure that's meant as a compliment, and I'm not sure entirely what the connections might be. Some just might refer to, Le- to the book of Hebrews, like Leviticus, being a difficult book. Um, well, it, it is in some places. The, uh, Hebrews can be difficult, uh, but on the whole, I think it's fairly intelligible. Or it may be, because like Leviticus, Hebrews answers the question, uh, especially in these chapters 4, 5 through 10, how can sinful people live in relationship with a holy God? Now, if that's what is meant by that expression, that it's the Leviticus of the New Testament, then I agree. Because that's what Leviticus is about. How do holy, how does a holy God and sinful, how do sinful people live in relationship with each other? 
What brings the two together? What reconciles the two? Well, that's what this section about uh, of Hebrews is about as well. No more so than, than 4.14 through 10, verse 39. But it's not just Hebrews, is it? That's the question the whole Bible answers. How can sinful people and a holy God be reconciled and be in relationship with each other? But Hebrews does deal with that very specifically and very pointedly. And the answer goes back to this one, Jesus, the Son of God, who is our great high priest. Because of him, we can go to our Father in heaven at any time and know that we are known, know that we are loved, and know that we will be welcomed with warmth and sympathy and love at any time. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this high priestly role. Thank you, Lord, for the riches of the Old Testament and developing our understanding of the priesthood and what it means. Thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus we can go into your presence, not through any human uh, mediary, but through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Father, we thank you that when we come to your throne, that it is a throne to us in Christ, a throne of grace. And there we do find mercy and grace. Thank you so much for that, Father. And Lord, I pray that that would be a reality for us this week, that we would readily and quickly go to you with those things that we face, things that discourage us, things that tempt us, things we wrestle with, things we put up with. Lord, that those things would very quickly drive us to your throne of grace. We pray it in Jesus' name, our great high priest. Amen.